This episode of DDX was produced in partnership with the American Society for Bone and Mineral Research and sponsored by Inazime Pharma. In 2005, a hospital in Los Angeles would receive one of the most unique patients in the world. It was predicted that he had six months to live. He would go on to beat those odds and cause specialists to question what they thought they knew about his disease and its treatment. His case would eventually become famous in medical literature. But on this day in 2005, he was just a baby, born healthy, now fighting for his life. This is DDX, a podcast from Figure One about how doctors think. I'm Dr. Raj Bardwatch. This season is all about rare bone diseases. Today, a case from Dr. Isidro Saluski, a professor of pediatrics who specializes in bone and mineral metabolism at the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA. So this baby was born at the hospital here in Los Angeles. He was normal delivery. And after three days, the baby was discharged home, apparently in good health. Just five days later, that would all change. The baby was breathing very fast and the baby was sweating. The baby was unable to eat. So the mother decided to bring it back to the hospital. The hospital gave the infant oxygen and IV fluids, but it was clear that he was seriously ill and needed specialized care. The baby was very sick and that was the reason the baby was transferred to UCLA. At arrival at UCLA, the baby required intubation just to control his breathing. The situation quickly became critical. This infant's heart was failing. His symptoms were also consistent with hypertension. Our patient was immediately given traditional treatment for high blood pressure and placed on a ventilator, which stabilized his condition while more tests were done. The patient has a chest X-ray that showed that his heart was very large. A heart can become enlarged if it's working too hard to pump blood through narrowed vessels. And also he has signs of pulmonary edema. This means the patient had fluid in his lungs, which can be caused by heart problems. An echocardiogram was performed, which demonstrated that the baby did not have any congenital heart abnormalities, which really are the most common causes of congestive heart failure in the newborn period. But then an ultrasound revealed another clue. Further ultrasound demonstrate that this baby, they have significant arterial calcifications in the arteries in his chest and also in his abdomen. Calcium was building up in this newborn's arteries. In this case, it was so thick that it restricted blood flow to the baby's heart. It was very puzzling because First of all, when you see a newborn baby with congestive heart failure, the most common causes are defects in the heart. But our patient's heart was normal. So he didn't have a congenital heart disease. And also he didn't have any type of inflammatory disease that sometimes are unusual but can lead to congestive heart failure. So the question that our specialist was now asking himself was, why does this patient have arterial calcification? And what's the connection between these calcifications, hypertension, and congestive heart failure? Dr. Saluski teamed up with a geneticist and cardiologist to find some answers. 
together with our colleagues from genetics, cardiology, all of us as a team work together to try to understand the diagnosis of this problem. We reviewed the literature, and at that time we discovered this entity called Generalized Arterial Calcification, GACI. Generalized Arterial Calcification of Infancy, GACI, is a rare genetic disease that causes calcium to build up on the walls of arteries, restricting blood flow to organs, resulting in a stroke or heart attack. Over half the infants born with GACI die within six months. But Dr. Saluski was determined not to let that happen. In his research, he learned of a specialist in Europe that he thought could help him further connect the dots. There was a publication around 2003 of a very similar case published by a doctor in Germany, Dr. Frank Rauch. So what did they do? They called him up. At that time, we didn't have email, so we called him and talked to him about the case. He was very nice and open to helping us in the diagnosis of this child. The necessary tests and samples were collected from our patient and sent to Germany. So blood was sent to this doctor in Germany, and he did the appropriate genetic testing. It would take months to get the results and confirm the diagnosis. But Dr. Saluski didn't think the child could wait that long. Clinically, we thought that the baby fulfilled the criteria for GACI based on the arterial calcifications and the presentation. And after reviewing other cases reported and a discussion with Dr. Rauch, we decided to initiate treatment on this baby before we got the genetic testing, because at that time it took some time until we got the results back. It had been two weeks since the baby had been admitted to the UCLA hospital when Dr. Saluski began treatment. We knew that Dr. Raj has published one case in which he has treated a similar patient with a drug called biphosphonate. He was successful diminishing the number of calcifications in that child. Our patient was treated with bisphosphonates, one of the most common drugs prescribed for osteoporosis, which slows bone loss. And it worked. Our patient stabilized, and his condition began to improve. Meanwhile, the genetic tests came back and confirmed his diagnosis. Dr. Rauch identified the mutation for GACI, and he demonstrated that the baby has the disease. Our patient continued to respond well to the drugs. His calcifications were diminishing over time. By age 12, he just had minor calcifications at the level of the aortic valve. While it's true that over half of babies with GACI die within six months, those that survive have a good chance of making it to adulthood, but not without complications. As a result of his disease, by the age of five, our patient's phosphorus level dropped and he developed rickets. He also struggled with maintaining a healthy weight and lost his hearing, all as a result of GACI. But despite these complications, the child's quality of life was high. For the time being, he has a normal life. He played basketball, he runs, he's active, he's doing well. By the time he was a teenager, a scientific discovery had been made that had the potential to change his life. And all signs pointed to it being an effective treatment for this boy's rickets caused by GACI. This drug is effective on raising serum phosphorus, and correcting some of the bone deformities that we see in children with hypophosphatemic rickets. 
So we noticed that at that time, after the approval of this antibody to FGS23, that our patient, the level of FGS23 were elevated. He has hypophosphatemia. And therefore, we thought that the antibody would be a good approach for the management of his hypophosphatemic rickets. This antibody is an injection that he would take twice a month and would replace the medication that he had been taking four to five times a day, every day. So for him, it was a big change that we were able to initiate therapy with this drug. And then he was doing fine. What happened is that after approximately four months of therapy, we did an echocardiogram, which was unchanged. But after 20 months of therapy, our specialist saw something that alarmed him. We repeat an echocardiogram that demonstrates a significant increase in his calcification. Then the question here is why? We were extremely concerned, and obviously the first reaction is, can this be related to the therapy that we have been giving to this child? Because that was the main change. They discontinued therapy and kept asking why. Dr. Saluski still doesn't know why his patient responded the way he did, although he has some theories. Since then, some specific khaki cases treated with this drug by phosphonate, the degree of calcification has markedly diminished. But also, there are other group of patients that never been treated with biphosphonate, and the calcifications over time also diminish. And there are some thoughts that maybe the low level of serum phosphorus that these patients develop over time play an important role in diminishing or in preventing further calcification. So it may well be that the fact that we raise serum phosphorus within the lower limit of normal has played a role in the acceleration of calcification. That is a possibility. The fact when we give this antibody, the level of serum phosphorus increase a little. The normally when they are hypophosphate disease, the rickets, the level of the serum phosphorus are below the lower limit of normal. When we give the drug this antibody, the levels go up within the lower end of the normal range. So there is an increase in serum phosphorus level. How much this play in accelerating the calcification in our patients, we don't know, but it maybe plays a role. There's a term in medicine called indication creep. The idea is, if a treatment is useful or indicated for one thing, it must also be good for this other similar thing as well. But sometimes it isn't. In this case, the treatment Dr. Saluski tried works for rickets caused by one mutation. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it will work for rickets caused by a different mutation. What is most important is that this antibody, which is very effective, should be given only to those patients who have the specific FEX mutation, the one which is related to the ricket, not to patients, like in my case, that do not have the FEX mutation, have an EMPP1 mutation. So. Basically, the genetic testing should be documented in every patient before therapy with this antibody is initiated. Thanks to Dr. Saluski for speaking with us. This is DDX, a podcast by Figure One. 
Figure One is an app that lets doctors share clinical images and knowledge about difficult-to-diagnose cases. I'm Dr. Raj Bardwaj, host and story editor of DDX. You can follow me on Twitter at RajBardwajMD. Head over to figureone.com slash DDX, where you can find full show notes, photos, including scans of our patients' calcified blood vessels, and speaker bios. This episode of DDX was produced in partnership with the American Society for Bone and Mineral Research and sponsored by Inazyme Pharma. For more information on GACI, please visit inazyme.com. Thanks for listening.